0: Welcome everybody to Encounter Church. Hey, if you're worshiping uh, as a family, this is a great time right now to head on over to EncounterChurch.org, get your kids set up on their kids content made especially with them in mind, and then come on back. We're We're in a series that we're kicking off today for the first time called We Endure, and there's a lot that we have to endure together. Some of the endurance comes, honestly, from just Enduring the same words over and over again. So let's play a little game, and you can drop it in the comment section below, is which of these words or phrases are you most tired of hearing of? Like, what's it going to take the most out of you to endure the following words? The first one is just, is pandemic. The next word to endure is COVID-19 or Zoom meeting. Words that we have to endure are things like unprecedented. Basically anything followed by the word Times. Or, heaven help us, the phrase, breaking news alert, are all things that we have to endure. And so this series is what it's about. It's just asking that simple question, how? How are we going to endure? How are we going to endure division? How are we going to endure isolation? How are we going to endure loneliness? How do we endure? Maybe if you're a college senior heading into that final year, This fall and you still haven't picked out a major yet or picked out a career and it kind of feels like you you haven't picked out a life yet. How do we endure? How do we endure when we're finding ourselves in the wrong job and everybody knows it's the wrong job you I everybody knows except for we're stuck in it just because we need the paycheck that comes out of it. How do we endure? Worried about a being furloughed or laid off. Again. How do we endure? And so what we're going to do this this series is for four weeks is we're going to hang out in the book in the Bible called 1 Peter. Now it's a book of the Bible, but it's also a letter. It's kind of this open letter. It's written to to Christians wherever they might be. A lot of them are concentrated and gathered around uh, modern-day Turkey, and and Peter is writing to these uh, Jesus followers, and he's offering some encouragement. And it's a perfect book for us today to talk about enduring together, because because of what they're going through. They're, they're gathered and they're scattered. They're an entirely new place, new towns, new cities, new mental and spiritual framework that they've never been in before. Their whole world was just turned upside down, and they don't know how long it's going to last. Sound familiar? And we're going to get into the book, and we're going to find out that that the reason why they're, they're scattered and the reason why they're isolated in the places that they are is because of this intense religious and political persecution that has come down on them. But but I don't want us to like read too much into that because I think there's probably few people watching this that have come close to experiencing the, the severe uh, religious persecution that they have. But like the idea and the, and the principles and the, and the spiritual truth that they learned having been in those places, that's universally applicable. So we want to take that and apply it to our own, to your own situation, wherever you might be geographically or spiritually this morning. We dig in in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, it starts off this way. It's a Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Th- these, are just, these are just places in modern-day Turkey. You don't need to, to write any of those things down. But I want to make a comment about who the author is here. Uh, Peter is writing this. And, and, and Peter's a great guy to be learning these spiritual truths from because Peter is, Peter is like your everyday kind of guy. Uh, Peter is very, uh, uh, very down-to-earth, uh, very approachable. In fact, a lot of times, um, brand-new Christians start reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they hear the stories about Peter, and, and, and stories where Peter, Peter is, is brash. Peter maybe leaps before he thinks about it. Peter is the kind of guy that says out loud what maybe everybody else was thinking. He's very likable in that kind of way. Uh, Peter uh, contrasts with who wrote several other uh, books in the second half of the New Testament. Paul is like your ivory tower guy. He's less approachable. Uh, Paul describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, somebody who attended the best religious school around. Paul's the kind of guy that watches the Netflix special The Crown to pick it apart for historical inaccuracies, for fun. That's Paul. Peter is the guy that watched Tiger King Twice. You get what I'm saying about Peter? Like he's very down to earth. He's a fisherman. So, so, so Paul's like, "Hey, listen, uh, I know all these other languages, and I can do all this other stuff." And Peter's like, "Yeah, but I can clean a fish in like under a minute. Field dress a deer for those uh, Michiganders." That's that's Peter. He's gonna he's gonna offer us some helpful wisdom, and he does that by these two key words that I've highlighted: elect and exiles, scattered throughout these provinces. Those keywords are, are helpful because elect simply means chosen. It's that God's chosen people, the people who belong to God. And so he's writing to, to any of us who are following after Jesus and we're saying we belong to God, and because of that fact, heaven is our home. The concept of heaven being our home is so incredibly helpful when we find our place scattered. Our home is not the four walls around us, our home is not the city that we say. When people ask us where we're from, heaven is our home. We belong with God. But we're exiles. We're living as as exiles here. Now, I'm going to be on some, some kind of thin ice, but as it relates to, to Christians relating to the world around us, I think most often we go wrong when we get this wrong, when we err on on misunderstanding how it is that we relate. Because remember, this place is not our ultimate home. We're living in a country not our own. And so there's a a couple of ways that we can live as a country not our own. A couple of ways we can go wrong in that. Sometimes people live in a country not their own as an immigrant. You, as a follower of Jesus, where heaven is your home but you're here, you can live as an immigrant here. And that means you have permanent status. That means you dig in. That means you develop relationships and, and, and systems. That, that means you, you, you adapt the, the cultures and the customs and the laws and the values of the of the place around you. It, it has this, this air of, of permanence to it. There's nothing wrong with being an immigrant and living in a country not your own, except for when it comes to our faith. And, and we dig in just a little too much here and this becomes like our permanent and and on a head level we like I know I belong to God and heaven is my home but my heart says I love the things around me I love the trappings I love the the comforts that this world provides me and and I'm a little too attached to them and I'm really, really concerned with life being as good and life being as comfortable as it possibly can. And I'm really attached to gathering as much experiences and altogether just stuff, or maybe gathering up enough experiences around it. I'm really afraid of, of missing out in this world because even on a head level, I know heaven is my home. On a heart level, it just kind of feels like this is all there is and I need to make the most of it. You can start to see how we, we go wrong as Christians, don't we? Don't we? When we start to live. As an immigrant, as a permanent resident in this country that is not our own. Contrast that with another way of being in a country not your own, as a tourist. And for extreme purposes, I'm going to say living as a as a tourist in the the worst possible kind of tourist, the kind of tourist that goes to a country totally different than your originating country, except for staying in hotels exactly like your original country because you love it so much and so you go and as a tourist in another place and you stay in western hotels and you get that famous american like omelet bar breakfast deal that we're known for all around the world and you get upset when you can't find a starbucks on every corner you don't of course don't learn to learn the language or any phrases of that you're just passing through it's so all like political or social unrest in that place doesn't bother you you're just a tourist You'll be out of here in a week, maybe two. It doesn't It doesn't really matter. Let the whole thing burn to the ground. I don't care. I'm moving on. Now, for Peter writing this, he goes, listen, it's a, it's, a, it's a mistake to fall too much in love with the world around you that you never want to leave it, but it's also a mistake to not love that place at all and to act like you're just passing through, and it doesn't matter. So he charts for us this, this third option, this third way. You're not, you're not a tourist, and you're not an immigrant, You can also live in exile in a place. and We don't think about living in exile too much, but but somebody who lives in exile knows that they belong in a different place, that their true home is somewhere else, and so their allegiance is to that place. Their value system is that value system. Their beliefs are those beliefs, not these. But since they're here for an undetermined amount of time, they dig in. Since they're here for an undefined amount of time. They live out their faith here. And it's, and it's weird. It's so weird. Like to see somebody actually live, a person of faith actually live like heaven is their home, but, but they're here for an undetermined amount of time. It's strange. They're not an immigrant. They're not a tourist. They're living as an exile here. It's like, it's like you remember football games? Like remember? Yeah. I'm not a sport. I'm not much of a sports fan. I'm gonna admit it. Like I follow it, but um, if I'm honest, I think some of the most impressive uh, feats that take place on the field is the marching band. Like during halftime, like the level of skill that those people uh, demonstrate on a weekend to weekend basis is impressive. I mean, forget about catching a ball in a particular part of the field, um, playing an instrument while. You know, a large one, like a tuba, while keeping an eye on a conductor, keeping everybody in order, remembering your, your motions, and then bringing this whole thing together in a pattern that, like, morphs during your fight song, your school, and then on into different shapes and all this different stuff to communicate, to, like, tell the whole story all during halftime. I mean, the, the skill is just, I mean, it's impressive. I digress here. Um, you're watching a halftime marching band, and, you you know, it's, it's good, except for there's, like, one dude who's off in the corner... And he's not paying attention at all to the conductor, like, doing the thing. In fact, he's playing an instru- percussion. He's literally marching to a different beat, his own drum beat, different than everybody else. And you're, like, watching this guy. And he's out of formation. He's just kind of walking around the field. He's doing his own thing. And it just it looks weird, doesn't it? It would look so strange. The camera might zoom up close to him, and he's got headphones on. And so it's not like... It's not like he's out of sync. No, you like get up close and he's got like Gary, Job, the blessing going on. And he's like beating along to that one. He's in sync with that beat. I think as Christians, sometimes like that's, that's how we're going to come across. That's how we ought to come across sometimes. We're not immigrants. We're not tourists here. We're living as exiles. We're, we're demonstrating the values and the beliefs and the hope and the endurance of heaven itself here on earth and it looks strange. You should look strange to others around. And like I, I hope that's that's helpful to kind of use that that language as you as you relate to the world this week. To maybe have to tell yourself and remind yourself, whisper it under your breath when when you see images of protests and rioters, people getting hurt, officers of the law getting hurt, Confederate flags through our nation capital, the fallout and the vitriol and the toxic, everything that comes afterwards. And just remind yourself, if the world doesn't look like what it should, maybe you weren't made For this world. But don't allow yourself to just ignore it. And say, well, that's just the world being the world. May it just burn down and I don't care. You're not an immigrant. And you're certainly not a tourist. You're called to dig in. You're called to make a difference. You're called to be a blessing here in exile. Until God calls you home. We endure as living in exiles, but Peter, he's not finished yet. In verse 2, these exiles who have been chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the Father. is a bit of a digression, but I love how it's the whole triune Godhead working together for your salvation. Sometimes we forget that. And sometimes, especially in times of loneliness and being alone, we think that it's just us, and at our best, we think it's just us with God. Don't forget, you have a three-in-one God who is with you at all times. But I digress. Verse 3. Um, Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us—and here it is right here. Here's our endurance. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. It's that living hope. That's how we endure together, church. That's how we make it. It's that living hope. See, a living hope is a hope that not even death can touch because the living hope attaches itself to something outside of this world. And because it's outside, because it resides in heaven itself, death can't touch it, nothing can take it away. It's never dying, it's never fading, it's never spoiling. It's our living hope in Jesus Christ. A Jewish Austrian born uh, doctor, Viktor Frankl, during World War II, found himself in the Auschwitz concentration camp. He survived. And later afterwards, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he writes about hope. And just his observation, his collections along the way and afterwards, about where people found hope and what kind of hope it was that offered endurance. And it's interesting to note that he writes that when people first come into the concentration camp— some people, off the bat, become as brutal and as cruel as their oppressors. They lose hope immediately. Others, it fades, and then all at once. And how sudden it was, caught him by surprise, that somebody would lose hope. They just, they just wouldn't get out of bed one morning. A uh, siren goes off. They're supposed to come out uh, at the front lawn for inspection in the morning. They just don't get out of bed. There is no amount of threats. He goes, there's no amount of beatings that can make a difference for them. They've just given up all hope in those moments. He goes, you do not want to see that happen to a family member. But even more interesting than that, he writes about the, the people who survived with the hope that if they could just make it through, their whole lives would be given back to them, like if they could just make it through that time, those years, this season that they could get back their livelihoods, their fortunes, their reputation in the community, their family, their homes, their whole life could be given back to them is that that 's what they were hanging on onto that 's what they're pinning their hope onto, and he goes what happened after we survived and after we got out, is that our lives were not just handed back to us as they were. Everything was different and changed. Nothing was the same. And so I've watched as people who've survived what I could only think of as what comes closest to hell on this earth. And once they were freed... They fell into despair, into depression, some even taking their own lives as free men and women. What makes the difference? It's pinning our hope and looking our hope and something outside of this world. Frankel writes in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that life in a concentration camp, tears open a soul and exposes its depths and foundations. Peter would say the same, that trials and pain expose where our hopes resides. And that determines whether or not it endures, it lasts. Make no mistake, we are far from Victor's situation. Far, far from it but we fall into these same traps. It's like looking for hope and pinning our hopes to the things in this world around us. I call this one-day-itis, or we fall into like one day, everything will be better. One day, this will happen and everything will be fixed. One day, things will get better. One day, I'll have a good job. One day, I'll have a better marriage, or I'll be married. One day I'll receive some kind of special recognition after I've been overlooked and passed over so many times. One day I'll be free from the chronic pain that I'm now enduring. One day, one day, everything will be better. But what if one day doesn't come? Or what if one day takes far too long? Then we expose where our ultimate hope really is, and it can be lost. But a living hope, church, a hope that fixes its eyes on something that not even death can touch, the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> and We endure. Living in exiles, it's weird. We endure this living hope, fixing our eyes on something far outside of this world. This is what that looks like. Verse 4 looks like an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed though you haven't seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexhaustible glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith is salvation of your souls you love him living as exiles in this place not an immigrant not a tourist undetermined amount of time but fixing your eyes on that living hope and the resurrection outside of this world you love him you love him that's how anything endures love i just ask you a difficult question maybe just between you and god is as do you love God, or you do you love the things of God? Do you love God as the end in it of Himself, or do you love God as a means to an end of achieving your own accomplishments, small as they are? You know, in the Book of Revelation we read about how uh, heaven is going to be filled with with precious gemstones, with streets made of gold. It's it's a wonderful sight. Now, make no mistake, but. But what if the only thing to heaven was the presence of God himself? Would that be enough? Do you really love him, falling in love with him? Or is he just a means to that end? You know, this is a silly, small example, but I'm going to say it anyway, is early on in, in, in pandemic, COVID times, um, I started a habit. I took up a new, a new hobby. And a hobby was as simple as it gets, it's walking just walking it's not timed there's no scoreboard there's no ball it's just walking around the block now initially when I started off with it I was walking just so that I could have another plate of nachos yes I said another plate of nachos and I told myself that if I walk around the block I can have a second plate of nachos please don't fact check my calories in and calories out on that it's working for me so let's just go with it But that's why I would walk, so that it was a means to an end. Something happened June, July, August. It's mid-January, church, and every day, sometimes twice, I'm like putting on snow pants, boots, and a coat. There's not a nachos on this planet that is going to make that worth it. And I don't know if it's the walk, the fresh air, the endorphins, connecting with my wife as we walk together, but, but I've fallen in love with it. I've fallen in love, and so it endures. It would never have endured if it was just a means to an end. And your faith will never endure if you just know things about God, but it's falling in love with God, which makes it endure that living hope. So church, fall in love with him today. Get to know him today. Sit down when it's just you and he together and ask him to reveal this living hope hope outside of this world to you personally in a way that you especially can understand fall in love with your savior and you too will endure jesus we pray this for everybody watching right now Everybody who's with us online, with us in the room, God, we pray that we would find a way to fall in love, Jesus, with you. That you would no longer be a means to an end. That we would put you in such a small box so as we think you're here just to help us with our accomplishments, help us get what we want from this world. God, may we look outside of this world. May we not relate as a tourist just passing through, nor as an immigrant who's here permanently and fixated on the things around us, but but God, as a strange people living in exile, belonging to you, Father, where heaven is our home. And Jesus, we offer you up praise one day before your throne in heaven, but today here on earth below. Amen.